0: Well, how many of y'all um, like Jeopardy? We've got any Jeopardy fans in here? Like, well, nobody watches that anymore. No, they do. It's still on. It's still pretty popular. Okay, don't be afraid. All right, all right. Well, earlier this year, believe it or not, there was kind of a social media uh, storm a little bit uh, about a, a particular um, episode of that. There was a, a you know, host. Alec Trebek is asking this particular question, and this guy named Nick Spicker, and Nick was winning, you know, he's one, and I, you know, please don't be mad, because I'm making fun of these people, because I'm just mad, because I'm not smart like them, okay, but it's usually kind of a nerdy guy, okay, and they know everything before, you know, I know the answer, you know, that kind of thing, so this guy's won a lot of money, he's been on there several days, and he's in first place, but Alex asked this question right here, okay? A song by Coolio from Dangerous Minds, okay, that's a rap group from the 90s, goes back in time to become a 1667 John Milton classic. What is that? And so most people would say, okay, you got this rap classic, okay, that's going on, and then you got John Milton, Paradise Lost, and so the guy put those together and he answered, Gangsters Paradise Lost, which was the right answer, seemingly the right answer. But after they went on to the next question, and some of the judges or whatever came back and said, actually, that's not the right answer because there is a difference between gangster and gangsta, And you did not pronounce it correctly. And there is a difference. And the guy, of course, is like, what? So they took $3,200 out of his winnings because of that. And so basically, um, you know, if you all know, there's supposed to be two wholly distinct... There's a gangster in some sense... Um, you know, you think about Gangster and you think about circa 1920s, you think about Elliot Ness and Al Capone in Chicago when you think of Gangster. But when you think about Gangsta, you think about Ice Cube, you think about NWA, you think about um, South Central LA and the holding the Glock sideways the 1990s albums and stuff like that, right? I know that's not me, I'm the nerd guy, I get it, I get it. But you know there's two different things. But he did produce that song and it was based on Milton's paradise Lost, but it was gangsta paradise, not the gangster paradise, okay? It wasn't that. So he lost his money, but he was a good sport about it, and he said, I will forever be proud of the moment that Alex Trebek taught me how to say gangsta. (laughs) So this morning, I've got a word for you that probably is similar to that, that when you hear it, you think of a certain thing, and I would guess that most of us think of this word as kind of a negative word, and it's called submission. And when you think of the word submission, I would imagine most of us kind of hear that in a negative connotation, basically thinking, I'm being forced to do something that I really don't want to do by somebody that I probably don't like, but I have to do it. Whether it's a boss or a military leader, whatever it may be, I don't really think about having to submit. And by definition, Submitting is the action or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. So that idea of doing that, yielding, is not necessarily a good idea or thought for a lot of us. I want to have the freedom to choose what I want to do. I want to have the freedom to choose to say what I want to say. And if I have to submit to somebody else, then I may not really have that freedom. And I don't like that feeling. But in reality, when we look at the word submission, it really can have two different meanings. It can mean that obedience, you're being forced to obey something or submit to something. But submission also means a proposal. Think about that. When you submit something, you submit something to someone. The first one sounds like I'm forced to submit, like I'm uh, submitting in MMA fight. I submit that seems certainly forced, doesn't it? Submission to an app is something a little different. Now, what am you talking about? When I get on my phone and I decide I'm going to choose an app, I have to submit to that user agreement, don't I? So let's just use Chick-fil-A 1. Anybody got that one? Chick-fil-A 1, all right? A lot of y'all have that. So when I submitted to that, I had to go on my phone and I say, okay. And it's free, but I have to read down to this, I agree to all these legalese things that I don't. And I know all of y'all read them, but I never read them. I just scroll down and say I accept, right? Because y'all all read them, right? All right. So that kind of submission, that seems to be easy choice or proposal. But it's the same word, but it's a different perspective depending on the context of how we use that word. But here's where sometimes we miss out on something very important. Although it seems obvious that an MMA fighter that has, to, has no choice to, but to submit, like Conor McGregor was running his mouth a lot in his last fight, he lost, sorry if you're a fan, but that's what happened, and he... He lost the fight by submittal, and it seems like he had to do that because you either submit or you're going to have a bone broken and you're going to lose the fight or you're going to lose consciousness, any of those things, so you have to submit. But in reality, he doesn't have to submit. He can get his bone broken, he can lose to consciousness, but it doesn't seem like he really has much freedom. But he does have freedom to submit. And although it seems obvious that I have the freedom to use all that comes from that great Chick-fil-A 1 app, by simply clicking on the agree box, I'm submitting to things that I'm ignorant of. I'm submitting to things that I don't think will ever happen in the world and all that legalese. And so I just sign it and go on my merry way. And it seems like that's just fine. But think about that for a minute. Are you all kind of with me with where I'm going? That has been happening throughout history, and it started in the very beginning when we go to Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, God and Adam and Eve had this agreement. And as the creator of the universe, as the creator of the Garden of Eden, as the creator of Adam and Eve themselves, God asked them to submit, to agree to one rule, one rule only, and that's this tree over here. You can eat of all these other things, but you just can't eat of that one. That's what we're going to agree to. That's what I want you all to submit to. Sounded reasonable, looked like they had freedom to choose, just that one was, was off limits. That seems pretty much like freedom. But then the serpent comes into the picture. And Satan entered that situation. And this seemingly easy to submit to, this easy one-rule submittal, all of a sudden looks like, according to Satan, this is an attack on your freedom to do and be who you want to be. Have you really read all the legalese in the fine print of the agreement when you said, I agree, God? Did you really read that? Because there was a lot of stuff I don't think you read, Eve, Adam, And Satan was trying to convince them that God is trying to control you. God is trying to manipulate you. By agreeing to his terms, you've lost your freedom. You've lost your freedom and your ability to choose and have your eyes open and know the things that God knows. And actually, you can be like God, and he doesn't want you to be like him. So, why did you agree to that? And Eve starts thinking, yeah, I could be like God. Yeah, I really didn't think about all the ramifications of what that means to submit to God. Yeah, I really should have more freedom like that. Well, very soon after that, Adam and Eve decided they were going to unsubscribe to their agreement with God or with their submission to God. And the rest is history, as we say. And this new freedom of being God themselves, of being able to have that freedom, all of a sudden didn't look like it was such freedom anymore. And now they had a whole Another group of consequences that they had to submit to in their lives, didn't they? And this is a reality of our world in a relationship with God. God asks us to submit, but the kind of submission He asks us to is not the kind that He gets us in a chokehold and goes, are you going to submit? But He says, I want you to understand that I want a relationship with you. I want you to understand that I'm the maker of the universe. I have made you. I have made all of these things. I'm the giver of your life, but I'm also the redeemer of your life in all of humanity's, throughout all of history. And I'm asking you to submit, because I know best. I know what's in your best interest, because I am the creator. I know what's best, even when you can't see it. But the world tells us another side of this. For some, God doesn't exist. That's silly. There's no creator. Things just happen by chance and accidents. There's no creator. Why would you submit to a Bible? Why would you submit to the Word of God? Why would you submit to a creator that never existed? That, someone, that some bunch of men just made up? Why would you submit to that? That's not freedom. You're God. Make your own decisions. And then there's some that say, well, there may be a God, but we really can't know it if He exists or not. There's no way to really prove that. I was telling my daughter the other day, and I think she was surprised to hear me say, you can't prove that God exists. What? The preacher just said you can't. No, you can't. I see evidence of it. You've seen evidence of it. I believe there's a God, but I can't rationally, scientifically prove it to you. But I believe that's true. But there's people who say not. So why submit to someone you don't know that's really there or not? But then there's others who goes, well, I believe in God. I'll submit to God in some areas of my life, and this is where most of us are, myself included. I'll submit to certain things in in my life to God, but there's other things that are off-limit because I know better. I know the situation, and God really doesn't know the situation, and you surely don't know my situation. If you knew this situation and how it is, then you would understand that I don't have to submit to God in this area of my life because my situation is completely unique than anybody else in all of history and creation. So therefore, I don't have to submit to God. I know what God says about that, but basically, we know better. So we'll take control ourselves of our life. And God, I'll ask for your intervening if I need you. But I got this. I'm good. And our, our culture is constantly telling you and I that we have control of our life. <laughs> so I'm at the, uh, what is it called, Flash Foods the other day. And you know, I, I, probably a lot of y'all in the last few months have been stopping there to get a drink because they're 79 cents, right? Right? 79 cents, I mean, if you want the, you know, the big, huge thing you carry out like this. 79 cents. But it says, your cup, your rules. What? My cup, my rules? I thought it was always that way. But it just, you know, it's just all this, this culture about you have control of your life. Like, what is somebody going to come in there? No, you can only have, you know, Coke. That's all you can have. It's like, oh, wow, I appreciate that. But really, it's 79 cents, you know? But our culture is constantly telling you that we have control over life. And anyone or any group that tries to impose their rules, their submission, is taking away your freedom. And your personal standard is what's best for you. Right? What you think is right, that's what's best. Now think about that. That sounds so freeing. That sounds so much like freedom. But there's a problem with that kind of mentality, that kind of um, philosophy of life. It doesn't stand up over the, the long haul. I wonder if we could interview Adam and Eve today. I wonder what they would say if we asked them, hey, how did that freedom treat you after you left the Garden of Eden? Was submitting to God easier while you were walking with God in the cool of the day in that garden, every day walking with God? Was it easier to submit then or when you got kicked out of the garden and you were on your own and you got to see what it was like to submit to the life that you have now? Well, we have to come to terms with this word submission if we're going to really be true followers of Jesus Christ. And that's just the reality. When I think about Jesus, I think about someone who absolutely, there was no getting around it. Jesus taught submission, and everything that he taught us, it was about submission. It was about dying to self and resurrecting to what God wants us and called us to do. Jesus taught submission. He modeled submission, and ultimately He saved me and you and all of humanity through submitting to what God called Him to do. And what God called Him to do was to die this cruel death on a cross to save me and you from our sins. We needed that. But that didn't sound like something that everybody would go, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Even till the last minute, Jesus said, if there's any way, God, if there's any way this can pass, but not your will, but my will. That's the ultimate. And being submissive. So, we can say that we're gonna submit by saying some words about Jesus and what we believe. We can submit to to going in here and and being dunked and being brought underwater and and raised again to a newness of life. We can submit to those things. But if we're not really willing to submit our lives, our will to Christ, then we're really not fully submitting to God. And I understand, y'all, it is a process. It is a process. When you come out of that, from becoming the old Craig into the new Craig, when I became, when I was ten years old, I didn't all of a sudden just figure it all out. It's been a process till the day right now, and it will be a process till the day I die of learning to submit to God. That's what it is, and He understands that, but He calls us to that in our lives. So for the next few weeks, I want us to look at some characters from the Bible and how they dealt with this whole. Uh, uh, idea of submission and some people did submit some people said hey you know what i'm not going to go my own way i'm going to reject my own way and i'm going to submit to what god's called me to do and they submitted to god and their lives were never the same but there was others who were saying i hear what you're saying god but i just can't do that i'm not going to submit to you and i'm going to go my own way the question ends who really lives in true freedom and for many of us, especially in our country and I love our country, the United States, but freedom is such this entitled commodity in our country isn't. It's entitled, I should just have freedom automatically." And most of us, and a lot of people who, who want all these freedoms, they don't understand there were people who died to give them those freedoms, and it just doesn't register. It doesn't quite we should just have it. And sometimes we lose perspective, perspective of who we really are. And if our identity does not recognize that we have a Creator and that we have a Savior, then we have a distorted view of reality. Sure, we can live our own way, and that can be very seemingly free and seemingly prosperous, but it does not hold up, it is not sustainable for the long haul and for eternity, and that's why I need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. One of the most famous personalities that I want us to look at from the Bible, and I hope all of y'all have heard of Moses before. If you haven't, I'm going to try to walk us through it. But Moses is a very interesting character. Moses was born into slavery. As a slave, he was born. His, His people had been under slavery for some 400 years to the Egyptians, and he was born into that. And through a miracle, he escaped slavery because his mom put him in a basket and floated him, near the Pharaoh's daughters where she took a bath and she saw him and thought, oh, what a cute baby. And her dad would say, we need to kill some of these babies. But she thought he was so cute and she took him into her home and raised him. And so he went from slavery, slavery if I can say that right, to royalty. But then after a while, as he grows up, he recognizes, I'm really Jewish and I'm around all these Egyptians and I see day in, day out, my people being oppressed. I see this slavery that they're in. And there's just something inside of me that said this isn't right. And he saw and he saw a guy beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And he couldn't take it anymore. And he snapped and he killed the guy. And then they found out. And now he's a fugitive. And so he went from slavery to royalty to now he's in slavery again. And now he's a fugitive on the run. And he goes out into the desert and he starts being a shepherd. And this is where we come to our scripture, our text today that I want us to look at. And it's from Exodus 3 verses 1 through 14. I think it's going to be on the screen. There it is. Thank you all. So listen to this. This may be familiar, but if not, it's a great story. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, From within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So go now. I am sending you to the Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, but suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What a powerful statement there. I am. We sang about that earlier. I am. God knows who he is. But let's talk about this. Let's kind of unpack this a little bit here. Moses in this passage, is is literally brought to his knees by this burning bush that he sees, but that is not really burning. And he recognizes as he comes closer, God says, Don't come any further. Stop where you are and take off your sandals, for this is holy ground. And Moses knows now, Wow, this is something awesome right here. This is a defining moment in my life. And so he does that, and God says, I want you to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This was God's mission, and God had chosen Moses as part of that mission. But I want to ask you a question. Think about this, as we've been talking about that word submission. Was God asking Moses to submit to his mission? Or was he submitting a proposal for Moses to consider? I don't know, really, what the answer is. It seems like he's telling him, you're going to submit because I've chosen you. But he's also making it very clear, I have a plan. You're going to have my presence. You're going to have my power with this mission. But he asked him that. He's telling him about it. And notice that God starts by telling him, you know, don't come any closer. Recognize this is something sacred. And Moses submitted to both of those. He tells Moses who he is. I'm the God of your father, Moses. I know who your father is. I'm the God of Jacob, of Abraham, of Isaac. And he knows these people. We know who Father Abraham is. In the Israelite culture, they knew that. It wasn't a surprise to them who he was talking about, but he says, I'm that father. And next he told Moses he was fully aware of what's happening to my people. I know you've wondered about it. I know that's why you killed somebody. You said, why doesn't God do something about this? These people are in bondage. He says, I know. I'm concerned about their suffering. I am going to rescue them, and I will give them a new and special land and home eventually after I take them out of Egypt. And Moses, you're going to be a part of that plan. And Moses does not want this. He does not like this. He doesn't think he's qualified. And I can understand it. I've gotten away from all that. I'm a man on the run, accused of murder. I've married. I'm I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working for my father-in-law as a shepherd. It's in the middle of the desert. They're not chasing me anymore from Egypt. I just want to retire. I'm good with this. What in the world? Why in the world would I want to get involved going back to Egypt where I'm a wanted man? But God assures Moses that he has chosen him, and I will be with you. Moses wonders what he is to say when questioned about who sent him. Who am I supposed to say? Who are you? What is your name? And God assures him, I am. But this is really just something I believe Moses is just kind of grasping at. They know who God is. When he says, I am, when he says the the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, they are absolutely going to know that Moses has talked to their God. But then he would say, but what if they don't believe? What if they don't believe me, what I'm saying? What if they don't listen to me? But God assures and demonstrates to Moses miraculous signs, through miraculous signs, that he will be with him and he'll give him the same ability. And so he goes, throw down your staff right now. And I remember watching the Ten Commandments. Y'all ever seen that old movie? You know, And, and, I, and I look at it now and I go, God, that was really bad, special effects. But man, when I first saw it, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And Moses throws his staff down and it becomes a snake. And you're like, and he says, now pick it up. Now that's faith, isn't it? So he reaches down to grab that and it turns right back into a staff again. And then God says, stick your, stick your hand inside your cloak. And he does and he pulls it out and it's full of leprosy on his arm. And he says, stick it back in and it's, it's completely gone when he pulls it out. And he's going, you see what I can do? You see the miracles? You see the power that I have, Moses? I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you that same power. Now, this is what this is fascinating to me about God and us, y'all, is that God chooses us to do things. Could God have rescued the people, his, his people out of Egypt without Moses? Absolutely, he could. He could have spoken directly to Pharaoh, but he decided to use Moses. He decided to use all these people involved because there was something greater that God's trying to teach us as individuals. And he's trying to get Moses to understand this. I've chosen you, but it's this something for everybody. So then he got to a point where he says, well, okay, I know you've given me the power, I know you've given me the mission, but I can't speak in public. I'm not a good public speaker, Lord. We didn't read that part, but it's a little further in the chapter. But he says, I can't speak. And God assures him, who made your mouth? I did. Who made your tongue? I did. I will give you the words. You don't need to worry about that, Moses. If I've chosen you for this, I will give you the ability to do it. Don't worry about that. And then finally, it gets to the heart of Moses. And this is how a lot of us are It says, that's exactly what he was doing. He was going, I don't want to do it. I do not want to do it, Lord. Can you please send somebody else? I don't want to do it. Why would I want to leave? I'm a a shepherd out here in this beautiful desert with my family, nobody else. I don't have to go back into that chaos. Why don't you just send somebody else? And God was angry about that. I'm not changing my mind, Moses. You are the man to do that. And God says, submit, obey. But God has taken the time, think about this, Moses, I've taken the time to let you know, I know what's going on with my people. I know the bondage they're in. I know they need to be released from that. And I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it through you. I have a plan. I've laid that out for you. How i am going to do it? I've told you that my presence will be with you. I've shown you that supernaturally. And I've showed you my power supernaturally that I will be with you throughout this mission. So what we do know is that Moses finally submitted to this. And Moses says, okay, I'll do it. I'll be a part. And so for the next 40 years, man, what a ride. What an up and down of emotional roller coaster it was for Moses. The next 40 years. But if we could interview, if I could interview Moses today, and when I get to heaven, I I look forward to pulling my chair up next to different people and just asking them things. And Moses is definitely one of them. And go, Moses, what did you learn? If you could do it all over again, would you submit to God's mission after what you saw over those 40 years, even though you didn't get to go into the, uh, uh, the promised land, would you still submit to that? And I believe with all my heart that Moses would say yes. It changed who I was. It changed me. It made all the difference in the world. If I had just stayed being a shepherd with my family in that desert, what would my life really changed? But God used me in a powerful way. And now, guess what, y'all? Everybody knows his name, right? Because of what God did through him. So Moses, when you submitted to God's mission, what did you learn about God's character? And I bet he would have some amazing answers. What did you learn about you and your character, Moses, through all of this? And I bet he would have some amazing answers. Well, what does this mean for us today? That's a great story, Craig. We all love it. It's great. Yeah, we know who Moses is. But what does that mean for us today? And here's the deal. You realize this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. What? What do you mean this is a foreshadowing of Jesus? God says, I see my people in bondage, and I'm going to save them, take them out of that bondage. But it's only one group of people at the time. And I'm going to use you to do that, Moses. And I'm going to, this, is, this is the old covenant. Through this old covenant, we're going to save these people. But guess what? Y'all do realize that only a handful of people actually made it at the end of those 40 years into the promised land. Only a few people, not even Moses. But later, Jesus is for, uh, God is foreshadowing that I'm going to bring a Savior in the new covenant. And in this new covenant, it's going to be Jesus. And Jesus is going to save all of humanity from their slavery. What do you mean slavery? Sin is slavery, y'all. It is slavery. And he says, I'm going to bring Jesus in the world, and he's going to save everybody. And guess what? Everybody has the opportunity to make it to the promised land through Jesus. And it's a foreshadowing. Of what he was coming. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses. As great as Moses was, Jesus is greater because he really stops the real, the real bondage and that sin. So I want to ask you this morning say, oh, that's great, we love Moses, it's a great story. What does this have to do with us? Well, how do we respond when God calls us to something? Do you feel forced to submit to being a follower of Christ? Is that something you feel forced to do? Oh, I've got to go to church today. Listen to that guy with the glasses on his head lead songs and that guy just ramble on and on all day. I don't know. I gotta be nice to people, I gotta share stuff. I don't know. Doesn't sound like you're really wanting to submit to that, but do you respond and going, God, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom? And everybody has giftedness and unique talents and and personalities that God can use in a powerful way, but what is he gonna use? How is he gonna use you? Do you, can you think up reasons why you can't respond? Oh, please, Lord, give, give it to somebody else because I can't speak. Lord, give it to somebody else. I can't do this. Let me tell you something. When I, when I thought about being a preacher, the thing that scared me death the most, you know what it was? This right here. <laughs> Speaking in front of people. And I think when I was 18 years old my first sermon, it's like... <laughs> I was finished in about five minutes of my whole sermon. I was so nervous. But over the years, I've realized that's something that God's called me to do. And yes, he could have used somebody else. And I could have get somebody else because I'm scared. You know, oh, you're going to do that. And I'm glad he has. It's done something for my life. It told me about who I am and who God is. So what is God calling you to do? Do you believe God will provide his plan for what he's calling you to do? Will he provide his presence with his power in this mission? His mission for us is not Impossible. Submitting to what he calls us to do in, the, in, in this world is hard, yes, and it's difficult, but it is, not, it is not impossible for us to submit to God and what he's called us to do. Submission is possible when we fully trust the one who asks us to join him in the mission of rescuing people, and that's exactly what he's asked us to do. I'm gonna, I've, he chose Moses to rescue the people of Israel, but, y'all, he has chosen all of us to rescue the rest of the world. Do you realize that? He's already saved them. But he's asking us to make sure that people know that they are saved and they need to, to, to submit to that and grasp that, that grace and that forgiveness. Forgiven. What are we just sing? Forgiven. Forgiven. God, your blood has saved me. And we need to get that. People need to hear that so desperately in our world. They don't need to hear that it's a trick. They don't need to hear that, oh, he's just trying to control you. They need to know that ultimately that submission to God and taking that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, that's what ultimately gives us freedom to be who he created us to be. I need that good news. So today, what is God calling you to do today? And I said this to the first service. There's some empty seats here that people need to be in here. And I'm not saying just because somebody comes in here and hears some Jesus songs and hears me talk about Moses or Jesus and all that, that it's automatically going to... But what I'm saying is is God can do something in all of you in every environment that you have influence in in your life. Just walking across the street to talk to your neighbor while you're taking the trash out and starting a a conversation and a relationship. The person at at your business, the the, the kid at your school that you know is kind of off and nobody's really befriending them, and God maybe is saying, you be that friend to that person. I know they're weird, I get that. But maybe they're weird because they need a friend. You have no idea what's going on in their home life, and maybe I'm calling you to do that. The person that worked that's a little quirky, and maybe God's calling you to be a friend to them. He's calling us to rescue people, just like He did Moses. And it can be a great adventure if we'll accept it. So what's God calling you to do today? We're going to offer an invitation this morning, as we always do. Maybe there's somebody here today, and you're hearing what I'm talking about, but God wants to rescue you. The songs we've sung about, I believe with all my heart, that because of Jesus and His life, and His death, and His resurrection, I have hope. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. You're not perfect, but you're forgiven. And God calls you to submit. Submit to being a follower of Him, so that you can truly experience the life He always wanted you to have. So we're going to offer that invitation. If you need to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, we're going to offer that invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and you know what? We're not perfect. We don't get it all right. But we're together realizing that God's called us to help rescue the world. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done, and because He's rescued me. I want to share that with other people. And we want to do that together as a church. God created the church to do that to be his hands and feet in the world, to tell people, you're rescued, you're forgiven. Now come on in and join us. And let's do this thing called life together. So if you've got that decision, we offer that too.